Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Town, and welcome to the Walking Dead podcast, where we're going to discuss the finale of The Walking Dead, what we expect from the show. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. This is the wrong one. I'm reading the wrong script, dog. Right, hold on a second. WrestleMania, no, not the WrestleMania podcast either. This is Nats Nightly. I've got the right page now. 24 hours, less than 24 hours till opening day, tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We're going to talk quickly about what's gone on this offseason, what we expect this season. You should also note that our friend Dave Nichols has moved on. He's covering the Seattle Mariners for the paper he works for in Idaho, with name of it, which escapes me at the moment, but I'm sure he'll call in eventually. He's not going to be able to avoid talking about the Nationals all season, but for now it's just you and I, Doghouse. We've invited some of the other writers on the show to on the site to call in whenever they feel like it. So over the course of the season, we should have some other voices on here so people won't be bored by just the two of us. But for ready now, it's just the two of us. Let's discuss some of the off-season moves to start with. Biggest one, obviously, is the trade that brought Adam Eaton in, the Nationals, and Lucas Giolito. Uh, still surprised that they traded him. I'm, I'm still a lot of fans still <laughs> wondering what went on there. Uh, they traded Ronaldo Lopez, 2016 first-round pick, Dane Dunning as well. I talked to a pretty well-known scout whose name I won't mention since it was an off-the-record conversation, but he said in his view they must have really soured on Lucas Giolito last season based on what they saw. We all saw the velocity dip a little bit. He's five, six years removed from Tommy John surgery now. and uh, Still it wasn't showing that he was a pitcher that was ready to compete in the major leagues, in my opinion, last year at least. But they did give up quite a package to bring Eaton in. What, what did you think of this trade initially? Have your thoughts changed over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I was a little shocked by it uh, right off, but the more I thought about it, when you see something confounding, the, the first thought, of course, is just to think that management is dumb. Uh, as, as a fan, of course, we do know better. But it, it's possible that they may have access to more data than we do. And, you know, Mike Maddox may know a little bit more about pitching than I do. Um, and it, it's, I, I think a lot of speculation, uh, certainly in the, in the baseball media and uh, among the fandom is that just the, the bloom was off the rose as it were with, uh, with Giolito and the possibility of a return out of him in a few years versus the, I, I don't want to say guarantee, but extreme likelihood of four or five wins a season for four years out of Eaton on a really player friendly contract uh, or excuse me, team friendly contract. That's, that's, that's some real value there. It it takes value to get value. uh, And, you know, much, much as I'm sorry to see Lopez go and, and Giolito Eaton has every shows, every sign of being a really valuable contributor and an exciting player to watch. Uh, Overall, I, I got to like it. Mike Rizzo talking after the trade uh, said, we feel comfortable with the deal. We've done a lot of deals. I like win-win deals. I think the Sox should be, uh, did a great job of acquiring good potential upside players. We got ourselves a good young skill for player that we can control at below market value for five seasons, which I think is the biggest thing. I know Rizzo in a, a fan forum at this winter said that they basically think they're going to get more out of Eaton over the next five years than they would have out of those three combined, which is why you make that sort of a deal, especially when you're in win-now mode like the Nationals are now. Uh, we certainly got what we wanted in Adam Eaton. He continued. The White Sox should and do feel good about what they acquired in this. Uh, the good thing is we have depth behind those prospects in the prospect ranks. We have five quality starters in the majors, so they felt they were able to deal from that depth in the organization. 
uh, you're thinking on that and the move uh, Eaton played right field last year where he's very good defensively. Uh, he's moving back to center field this year, at least, though. Uh, Worth and left him and Eaton in center, Bryce Harper in right. Last time he played center in 2005, minus 10.2 UZR, which is 21st in the majors among center fielders, minus 10.6 UZR 150, minus 13 defensive run saves, minus uh, a 986 fielding percentage. However, in 2014, as he said, he was actually very good in, uh, in center field, minus 3.3 UZR, which is not great, obviously, but 3.8. This is part of the problem of looking at one season at a time and these sort of numbers. It doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture, but 11 defensive runs saved that year, 988 fielding percentage. He said, I definitely think I'm the 14 player. I think that if I'm right, uh, hopefully I'm the 16 player when I'm in center, 14 player and right. So like I said, I'm very capable of playing all three. Uh, your thoughts on the trade, the, the prospect going, what Rizzo has to say about that, and moving Eaton back to center with Harper and right, worth and left. Look, every fan base loves its own prospects, and, and I, I love ours, and I was I was sorry to see them go. But I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Eaton can do. As as far as trading from depth, okay, you, you that's why you build depth, so you can trade from it if you have to. That's what Rizzo did. I'm not – I, I think talking about depth behind those guys is a little bit of happy talk at this point. Uh, if you want to look at areas of fragility on the Nats, certainly depth for the starting rotation is one of them. But I, I don't want to dwell on that the, the night before opening day. And Instead, I, I want to look at Eaton, and there's certainly been plenty of speculation of people looking at the uh, the advanced fielding stats and and talking to, to, to people who have watched him as fans, looking at, at, at video – I mean, he's fast. He gets good reads. What's What was up with the, the down spike when he played center field for a season? Well, the advanced defensive stats are, are really kind of noisy. And you got to have three years at one position, preferably in the same ballpark, to, to really sort of get a good read on true talent out of the, the advanced stats. They, they give you stuff to look at. And depending on how they match up with other things, you, you can use them to – you know, challenge your, your, what the eye tells you or, or to confirm it. In this point, I'm, I'm not real worried about the discrepancy between right field and center. You know, I, I can count that off to noise and a young player getting uh, more confident and also positioning. I mean, that, that's such an increasingly important part of the modern game. Uh, it, we don't really understand uh, how it interacts with the other, the other defensive stats and uh, the uh-huh. use of advanced metrics and batted ball profiles and, and where to position the outfielders. That's what I'm really excited about is coming this year. We're going to get some really useful advanced stats, stuff like how long does it take the guy to react to the batted ball exactly how far did he run and how fast and how efficient was his route. We saw some previews of that late in the season, last season. That's going to become more and more prevalent. And my, my gut is that Eaton will turn out to be pretty good on these kind of measures. And I, I think this is something that the, the Nats are certainly interested in. They're paying a lot of attention to positioning, how to shade the fielders based on the hitter tendencies and who's pitching. And I, I think uh, Eaton's going to be a guy who could really show us some payoff in that. Rizzo tends to agree with you. Obviously, he was happy with the trade because they went out and got him. Our scouts evaluated Eaton, he said, in December. We've seen him play quite a bit over the last couple of years, including this year. It was one of the few times in the draft room, in the war room, where the analytical information matched up with the scouting eye, and it was a decision in the room that was fairly easy for us. 
make to determine that this was a this this was the player at this time. So we'll get into where he's gonna hit in the lineup, even though I'm sure you're gonna <laughs> tell me what you think about the lineup construction once again. But we'll get into that half later in the end. But half a win. Moving on to the the other new players that uh, we're gonna get to see this year, Matt Weeders. Uh, we went through that weird situation where they traded for Derek Norris. Uh, some reporters have suggested that the Nationals went out and got Norris quickly from the Padres in a, in a trade for a minor leaguer because they wanted to block the possibility of an ownership deal with Boris bringing Weeders in here. Once they went and signed Weeders, a one-year, $10.5 million deal, Mike Rizzo said that when they came back after not finding a home, the price point was different and made more sense for the Nationals. They subsequently traded Norris, which didn't work out well for him. Granted, he started for the Tampa Bay Rays today, so not all bad in the end there, but uh, we've seen Matt Weeders over the years with the Orioles. Uh, His pitch framing numbers obviously aren't great. Uh, A lot of people have pointed out the fact that the Orioles pitching over his time in the Baltimore uniform weren't at nearly as good as what the Nationals have put together now. So could be some difference there when you have pitchers who are able to throw strikes more. You're going <laughs> to worry about pitch framing a little bit less. But uh, what do you think of that addition, the switch hitting veteran catcher? Uh, well, I, I like that this is a guy with experience. Um, I, I like that he's not projected to be sub-replacement. I'm not really expecting a lot out of him. Um, Sure, it's easier to frame pitches uh, if you've got a, a, a more skillful staff with better command. But you know, uh, a good pitch framer can save some save some strikes for a for a bad pitcher just as well as for a good one. Um, if I want to whistle past the the one and one win and one win only gra- graveyard of uh, catcher war here on the season, I guess I can say that. Uh, Matt Weeders built Zach Britton. He can do the same for Trinan. Uh, my big uh, sleeper pick for the offseason is Eni Romero, personally, another addition to the Nationals. Uh, they traded Jeffrey Rosa, minor league uh, right-hander, young kid, 21 years old, kind of establishing himself right now. But Eni Romero, uh, Dusty Baker told, talked this spring about how when they originally traded with Tampa Bay to get Felipe Rivero, they had actually wanted any Romero first and uh, Tampa Bay wouldn't give him up at that time. So they ended up getting Felipe Rivero who's turned into quite a serviceable pitcher there with the pirates now after they dealt him last year for Melanson, but they end up going back and getting any Romero. Uh, he was out of options with the Rays, still out of options, I should say, but is on the opening day roster, uh, Mike Rizzo talked about him during the uh, world baseball classic. When he appeared on MLB network radio, he said he's a 26 year old guy. We feel with a few tweaks can find the strike zone more consistently. And when he does, you saw the stuff. He's got a three-pitch mix. One of the pitches is an 80-grade fastball on the scouts 20 to 80 scale. And he's got a good breaking pitch when he throws it. I think he's got the ability to swing and miss stuff. And a guy that we feel at 26, at the minimum, is a good get for us. Uh, really impressive spring. Uh, more impressive in the World Baseball Classic for the Dominican Republic. Uh, touching 98-99 most of the time he was out there. Command was a lot better than what I expected, given his numbers over the previous seasons. But uh, not sure how they're going to use him in the back of the bullpen. But adding another power arm for for Nexon, you know, Jeffrey Rosa might turn into something. But getting this guy for next to nothing because Tampa Bay had to get rid of him uh, seems like a slick pickup for Rizzo there. Uh, you say Rivero, I say Romero. Uh, <laughs> let's call the whole thing off. Um, I, I will freely admit that this was one guy I'd never heard of trade before some other guy I'd never heard of. And I'm, I, I, I'm going to be a, a Romero skeptic here, even on the night before uh, opening day. Um, 
we've seen big arms with command trouble an awful lot. Don't I'm not. I'm not going to call that name out. <laughs> we can all imagine it. We we've all seen the people diving out of the way, but uh, I, I will add we've also seen someone give up and just try to bunt the fastball three times because it was so overpowering. Um, clearly, there's possibility here. The the, the Nats pitching uh, coaching staff knows what they can do to adjust a, a pitcher's approach. They, know, they have things to try to get them to, to improve their command. And I guess I can just choose to believe that they'll be able to fix them, um, not, notwithstanding the, the prior experience we've seen with, I, I guess, admittedly, different people trying to do that. But uh, it's <laughs> potentially exciting in all sorts of ways. <laughs> I, I really like what I saw from him. Uh, I haven't watched him before this season. I think I've seen him randomly when the Nationals played them, but the first look at him in the WBC, maybe it was the environment, maybe it was comfortability with his Dominican teammates, but he was dominant out there. If he's anything like that this season, the Nationals, I think, really could have gotten a steal here. Uh, as the Nationals noted when they announced a 25-man roster today, Eaton, Matt Wieters, Romero, Adam Lind, and uh, – Joe Blanton are the five new names on the roster this year. Uh, any thoughts about Lynn beating out Clint Robinson? And, uh, Joe Blanton, I think, might be really a sly move on the Nationals' part. He's become uh, really effective as a reliever. I, I never liked him as a starter. He started off a lot of potential, didn't quite fulfill it. But as a reliever, I think that's a nice addition to the Nationals' bullpen. Quite frankly, I loved Joe Blanton as, uh, as a starter because he, he was the pathetic punchline to what was otherwise a, a dominant and overpowering Phillies lineup on those years when the, when the Nats were really, really bad. Uh, when I saw his name come up as the, as the pitcher we were facing, I was like, yes, we might take one game out of this series. Uh, but he, he's actually turned into quite a serviceable reliever, and I, I think he's a very good get for, uh, for the Nats. You know, I'm, I'm hanging my hat on him. As, uh, as Craig Stammen 2.0, and I mean that in every positive possible way. He's probably not as good a hitter. I, <laughs> I, I still have never quite forgiven him for that elbow he stuck in, although he got called on it. Uh, he, he's one of the few people I've seen get called on a hit-by-pitch for not getting out of the way. Um, so I will admire, we'll, we'll give him credit for pluck on that one. But uh, that, that's a good ball bullpen ad. The, the sad thing to me about Adam Lind uh, – less so than that uh, uh, it means Clint Robinson doesn't make the team, who is, you know, certainly a, a good guy and by all reports very well liked, is that uh, if you look at the projections, he's, he's going to put up twice the value as Ryan Zimmerman in half the playing time. <laughs> uh, it, it, it breaks my heart to see Zim penciled in in a projection for 500 at-bats and one-tenth of a win. <laughs> Uh, what do you expect from Zimmerman? We're going off the script here a little bit. We've already blown past our 15-minute hour period. But, uh, I still don't know what to make of Zimmerman. Uh, they talked this winter about the uh, – well, they talked all last season, we should say, about the uh, exit velocity, the fact that he was still barreling up the ball, but the, the angle that he was hitting the ball out wasn't quite uh, enough to get it over the infielders and get it into the outfield. Uh, a lot of ground ball outs was the result last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and David Daniel Murphy talked about it a lot this uh, this spring. Apparently, Daniel Murphy big on the stats, uh, looking into everything they're making available to players this year. Uh, do you think Zim can still turn it around? It, it's hard to think of him as an older player at this time, but he's past his 30s, has looked past his prime at times in the last few years. But what are you expecting from Zim this year? 
Well, what, what I'm expecting is, is heartbreaking replacement level performance. But uh, if, if you want to, to hang your hat on some dreams here for the Nats this season, okay, we'll go back to that exit velocity, which, you know, cynical Nats fans scoffed at as, <laughs> uh, as whistling past the replacement level graveyard, which it certainly was. But it means he's still swinging the bat part. He still has the bat speed. Murphy completely reinvented himself as a hitter by changing his swing plane, moving to a more uppercut swing, lofting the ball. He's a very thoughtful, analytical hitter. And if he and Zim have been sitting together and talking about hitting all, all offseason, maybe Zim turns it around. Maybe he goes back to being certainly not a good hitter for a first baseman, but a serviceable major leaguer, you know, a guy who can put up one or two wins. And that would be enormously valuable for the team. And I think just morale-wise and as a charge for, for, the, for the team and the fan base, seeing Zim out there hitting 15 or 20 dingers with, with an OBP up around like 320 or something would be fantastic. I'm still marveling and shaking my head at part of that conversation being Daniel Murphy talking about part of his goal and those changes with the start connecting with the bottom half of the ball, which is what he's looking to do. Just, you know, it's hard enough to hit the ball to, to connect with the bottom half of it. You're talking about another level of, of vision and hitting on there. But uh, we'll switch gears here to the pitching a little bit. Uh, the two big stories, obviously, Max Scherzer's knuckle, but even though Steven Strasburg probably won't like this, we're going to talk about his plan to pitch exclusively out of the stretch. Uh, he's talked about how he wants to – thinks it will help him uh, keep his mechanics in line uh, – less going on in, in the delivery, going out of the uh, regular delivery, whatever you want to call it. Wind up. Wind up, thank you. Sticking to the stretch now, uh, mixed results this off uh, spring. It's kind of hard to tell. You don't take spring training stats to mean anything, essentially, but uh, he thinks it's going to make him better. Uh, they asked him about it yet again this weekend. Uh, he says, you guys want to make a big, a big deal out of it talking to reporters, but it's still just throwing a baseball. It's not like I'm trying to throw left-handed or sidearm or anything. It's just you get this feeling when it's right, and you want to be able to repeat it as many times as you can and make good pitches. I feel like it's something that helps me do that. Uh, he was pretty good out of the lineup at the beginning of last year, 13-0 and in 17 starts, but if this reduces some of the wear and tear on his, uh, on his arm after the pronator tear last year shut him down, that's got to be a positive. Uh, what are your thoughts on moving strictly out of the stretch so far. And he says he's committed to it as much as he has success, basically. He's not going to say he won't move back if he doesn't struggle. But Well, we know that Strasburg is a creature of habit. So if he only pitches one way and somehow that makes it better for him, good. Uh, of course, my concern is pitching out of the stretch all the time. You're going to give up a little bit of velocity. Um, stress. Still has that big fastball. You know, it's not quite as big as it was in, in you know, when he first came up. But, uh, you know, wait and see. He's he's proven that, uh, that he can be a valuable pitcher, that he can last most of a season. Um, if this is what helps him take the next step in terms of durability, I'm all for it. Max Scherzer, the uh... – Really weird situation, in my opinion. This has been going on since last, late last August when he said he initially felt this problem. They officially just initially just thought it was a sprain, so they were treating it as a sprain, which apparently wasn't a good thing because he ended up with a, a stress fracture in the ring finger on his right hand. Uh, 
set him back at the start of the season. He was able to get out there finally. He's going to start the season in the rotation, no DL stint, which is a minor miracle, I think, in a lot of ways, considering how he started uh, throwing a three-finger fastball this spring just so he could keep his arm in shape. And he's back to the two-finger fastball. He's doing everything that he's always done. He's coming off a Cy Young season, so you expect a lot from Max Scherzer. But uh, you just hope none of this, all the chicanery that's gone on here is going to have any effect on his arm. You're, you're switching things up when you're throwing as hard as he does, putting as much effort into there. You don't want to see them kind of mess with things. He said that was the big takeaway from that this winter. He said that he was able to avoid, you know, hurting himself any further and just had a wait for the knuckle to heal up, which was probably frustrating, but he's going to be in there. Uh, he's going to start against the Phillies on Friday. Not going to make a start until the fourth game of the season, but he's there in the rotation. That's what's important. Yeah, he's he's up. The Nats are apparently confident enough in his recovery to to let him, you know, not start on opening day, but to to start him on the roster uh, and in the rotation. So let's let's take them at their word, at least until he has a bad start, and then we'll say we told you so. <laughs> um, Scherzer continues to be an incredible acquisition. You want to talk about pay value to get value? I, I just want to make as a short aside here. We're paying $210 million for Scherzer, and uh, he's provided roughly $90 million in value in two seasons. So even if he's you know, merely an average pitcher for the rest of his contract, then the Nats are going to get a lot of extra value out of this. And in terms of what, what he's given us as fans in terms of performances with, with the, the games that he's thrown for us, uh, I, I think he's provided plenty of value already. Moving on to Bryce Harper, I'm not going to talk about the possibility of him leaving as a free agent after the 2018 season because I'm already fed up with that conversation. I'm tired of seeing the first comment in every Harper article being that he's going to look great as a Yankee in two years. But uh, his 2016 season, a little bit of a step down. He went from 330, 460, 649 line, 38 doubles, 42 home runs, and a 9.5 F4 campaign to a 243 373, 441 line, 24 double, 24 home runs, 3.5 F4. Uh, we said all along on the show all last year that, that you hope it was an injury, as bad as that is to say, because if he just couldn't figure pitchers, pitchers out and what they were doing to him for six months there, that's probably more of a problem. Uh, he looked good this spring in the limited time we've seen him in whatever games they broadcasted, but uh, it looks like he's back uh, – what he was doing. He's not missing those uh, fastballs outside. He seems to be able to square those up. He's playing Godley go the other way a few times this spring already and looks more like the Bryce Harper we come to expect over the past uh, how many seasons he's been now? Five seasons in the majors, which just seems amazing considering he's still 23 going on 24, I think at this point. So he's turning 24, 24 last October, but uh, looked good this spring. Uh, are you expecting a bounce back from Harper? And what do you make of what, what's gone on in the last year with him? And if you want to touch on the possibilities of leaving after 2018, feel free. Never, never. <laughs> I, look, w- whatever was going on with Harper, let's just hope that it's healed, either either literally or metaphorically. You know, uh, given that the trouble he had, you, you pointed out getting to the fastballs outside with that that tremendously powerful uh, swing that he has. You got to figure something was going on. He says no. Okay, fine. I, I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait for some tell-all memoir whenever it comes out, uh, you know, or, or a tweet about it or something on a reality show. I don't know how it happens these days. But the interesting part of it is that uh, the bounce-back season for Harper is is like a five or six win season after only three and a half wins last season, which you know. 
95% of major league starters would be happy to have. The, the, the best part of this for me, though, is to think, all right, if Harper has what for him is almost a mediocre season, it would be five wins. There are four other players on the, in the Nats lineup who could put together five win seasons too. Man. Not out of the question. You look looking at uh, Rendon and Murphy and Turner and Eaton, those guys could all be five win players. Of course, you look down the rest of the lineup and well, it's probably worth about one or two wins in total. But there, there, there's, there's potential for a lot of excitement in, uh, in this Nats lineup this year. I'll just skip that lineup discussion. <laughs> As I mentioned, we're way over here. And the one thing I do want to discuss is a decision that finally made to uh, name Blake Trine in the closer. Uh, they went after so they went after Mark Melanth and tried to bring him back. He went to the San Francisco Giants. They made a real big play for uh, Kenley Jansen, who decided to return to the Dodgers for some personal reasons. He's got family out there. He felt more comfortable. He was really impressed by the Nationals' uh, attempt to get him, the pitch they made to him to the point where the reports say he called Mike Rizzo and told him personally that he was deciding to return to the Dodgers because out of respect for what they were offering him and the, the pitch they made. But – uh, we end up getting Blake trying in or the battle with Sean Kelly. Dusty Baker said they, they don't want to mess around with what they did last year. Kelly was really effective. He's already had two Tommy Johns. So the stress of being a closer, even though Kelly argued that it might be less stress if he knows when he's pitching all the time, they ended up uh, Coda Glover was in the running too. Dusty Baker said he's young. He's coming off a labrum tear in his hip. So they have to be careful with him too. That's not to say that Blake Trinan is a third choice of getting it. Uh, he's, Proved really effective last year. 228 ERA, 3.62 FIP, 8.46 uh, Ks per nine. The 4.16 walks per nine are a little bit of concern to me, but he's got that bowling ball sinker he's coming with. Uh, just pulling up his pitch effect here. Uh, 98, maxed out at 98 last season. Average 95.3. Uh, hitters put up a 279 average against it, 118 against the slider. He's effectively a two pitch pitcher at this point, though he does mix a, a regular fastball in there and a changeup. That we just threw nine of them last season. So I don't know if you take that into account, but he's a ground ball machine. Uh, we saw it just yesterday. Uh, he almost got out of a tough inning, getting a double play that should have ended the game if we didn't have the minor league infielders in there that blew it. But that's what you're going to expect from him. He might put some runners on, but he has that ability to get that ground ball, get two outs with one pitch, and uh, they're giving him the they're giving him the job, and they're going to throw him out there as a closer at the start of the season after some disappointments and not getting the guys they went after. Uh, is, a fallback option as good as Blake Trinan and some other options on the team. They're not necessarily in bad shape. No, not at all. And if you, again, if you want to hang your hat on a dream on the, the night before opening day, Blake Trinan could be the right-handed Zach Britton. I, I don't think that's, that's an unreasonable place for him to end up. You know, that's that I, I'm not going to predict that, but it's something that, that, uh, that's possible. Uh, excuse me, not, not out of the question or absurd, sorry. It's not a stupid thing to think. Uh, of course, closers are dumb. I've, we've had this conversation many times. But if you're going to pick one guy as, as your high-leverage pitcher and, you know, put him in in the big situations, and this is, this is something Dusty would have to start doing. So, you know, I'm I, certainly not trying to fault that he's no, the closer, closers are dumb. Uh, uh, Trinan's a good choice, you know, because he, he's got that dominant sinker. Um He's he's mentally tough. He's pitched in a lot of a lot of big high leverage situations that come true for the Nats and really progressed as a pitcher over the last few years. So if he continues that progression, then the Nats are in plenty good shape. 
We'll get to see if he gets an opportunity tomorrow. Uh, Steven Strasburg on the mound against Edison Volquez. 1.05 p.m. in the afternoon in the nation's capital. We're all down here. We're all going to be at the game. We'll come to you with Matt Knightley afterwards, our first show of the year. In the books now, I'm probably going to get in trouble with Mrs. Doghouse because it's supposed to be 15 minutes long. We're a minute away from a half an hour, but we're going to wrap here. Uh, hoping Dave calls in, as I said. Uh, we put together a good show here the last couple of years, and he was a big part of that, so hopefully he'll be able to call in at some point. But we've got some nice young writers on here. We're bringing in the millennials and a different perspective, so hopefully things will be a little different, and we'll keep having people uh, log on and listen to us at nightly. Sponsored by federalbaseball.com. I federalbaseball.com is Matt Knightley. That's the wrap for the season preview. We'll post this on the website tomorrow morning. We'll be back with another show tomorrow night. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Doghouse. Talk to you guys tomorrow.